0: Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're in this place this morning. You know each and every one of our needs. Thank you that you are our healer, our deliverer, the restorer of our soul. And for many of us this morning, We know that you're going to come and you're going to tenderly take our broken souls and again, bring them back together again, restore them, reinvigorate them, revive them. We thank you as we sense your Holy Spirit here this morning as we listen to words spoken, Lord, we know that your hand will heal and make whole in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Do you know we're in for an incredible morning this morning? We have three amazing men of God from this church that are going to come and minister to us this morning. And honestly, um, you are in for a very, very special um, service and meeting with Jesus through these ministers. We're going to invite Dave Dave Saunders, Rob Daly, and Tarbo. Come on, let's give them A round of applause this morning. Let's welcome them as they join me here. And um, do you know, as we we were praying this morning together, the Lord just spoke to our hearts. And I know it's Father's Day and, you know, a lot is going to be spoken about in relation to God's fatherly care in our lives. You're going to hear a lot about that from these men's lives. But... But one of the things that the Lord showed us together when we prayed this morning over over this service was that their ministry to you is going to be like, I want you to understand what's going to happen. Their ministry to you is going to be like that good Samaritan coming to the Jericho Road. Those areas of our lives that are languishing, that are still covered by pain, these men through their testimony are going to come to you through the power of the holy spirit they're going to pour in oil and wine they're going to come with their bandages and with compassion and you honestly you're going to you're going to tangibly sense the presence of the holy spirit going into areas of your life possibly long forgotten and he's just going to go there and he's going to bring wholeness and healing, or maybe the beginning of a work that he's going to continue on with from this moment of time. That's one thing that you're going you're to sense happen this morning. These ministers of God's grace, these ministers of God's goodness are going to come to your point of need. And you're going to sense that oil and that wine of God's healing grace in your life. And also there was another aspect that the Lord showed us In relation to what he said when he started his ministry to people, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare good news to the poor. All of us, we can't escape it, right? All of us have areas of our lives that are impoverished. We've experienced this wonderful grace of God, this saving power of Jesus in our lives there's still some areas that may be impoverished in our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. You're going to hear through these ministers of grace good news, good news, pointing ahead into, into the future, giving you hope, giving you peace for where you're at. You're going to hear good news today and how God, how God, can take the broken picture of all of our lives and slowly pick up each piece, treat it as valuable and precious and slowly put it back again so it reflects His goodness and His glory. So I'm really excited for what you're about to hear. I've already heard it and I'm excited to hear it again. Dave, Saunders, what a great man Dave is. I tell you, what a large heart, been in the church with us for many years now, many years, 20-odd years, Dave. And um, Dave and Stella um, head up our prison ministry. has been ministering to many, many thousands of people year in, year out. Dave's going to share with us this morning because he's got such a a unique message to share about God's incredible love in his life I'm just going to get him the podium because this man is a good Welsh preacher and every good Welsh preacher needs a podium but uh, come on let's uh, show our appreciation for Dave I'm
1: going to try and do this service without crying. Our Father who is in heaven, blessed be thy name. I've got three statements for you. The first one is, in my life, and I'm 70 years old now, I've never known the love of a father. The second one is, in my life, I've known the amazing love of a dad. And the third one is, in my life, I've been overwhelmed with the love of our Heavenly Father. I'd better explain those to you. I've never known the love of a father. When I was 11-year-old, we were sitting, we used to live in a little cottage in Pontypool and I was sitting on the arm of the chair and and, and dad was sitting in the chair and we were sitting by the fire and mum had said to me, when your brothers go to bed, we need to talk to you. And I can't remember the words, but it had a simple message. It said, your dad is your father. Over the next few weeks, few months, and few years, I found out that mum had been married to Arthur. I was born David Blake. And when I was 2 years old on my second birthday, Arthur abandoned us. He left. He ran off with a 19-year-old a nurse, She was expecting his child and we were left. But I didn't grow up with a feeling of hate. My mother was an amazing Christian. Her faith was so strong. She didn't put into my heart that stone of anger and revenge. She was a lovely woman. So I grew up not hating Arthur. I didn't know Arthur. Actually, I was going to say I'd, ne- I'd never seen him before, but I had. I'd seen him for 30 seconds in my life. Mum and I were coming out of the old Woolworths in Pontypool. And Arthur was coming in. And I was about three-year-old, but something, I knew. That's your father. I didn't know what he'd look like. I'd never seen a picture of him even. And in all my life, Arthur never sent me a birthday card. He never sent me a present. And as far as I know, he never contacted my mother and said, How is David? How is he doing? Is he okay? But I didn't grow up with bitterness. So in my life, I never knew the love of a father. But in my life, I, I grew up with oh, the amazing, absolutely wonderful love of a dad. I told you, I was sitting on that arm of the chair. Dad was there. I had my arm around him. Oh, dad is the most amazing, wonderful person. I had two brothers, Gareth and Wayne. I'm the oldest. Dad treated me as if I was his son. My brothers didn't even know that I was their stepbrother until they were into their late 30s. Couldn't even guess the difference in the way we were treated. Dad was funny. Oh, he loved telling us stories. He'd come home from work, and he worked for in ICI at the time, and he'd come home, and it was if it was the morning shift, he'd been in work since, well, he'd got up at five in the morning, and was in work for six, and we'd be playing football outside the house. And he'd come home like this. And he'd see us playing football, and his natural loving instinct was to say, Come on, boys, I'll play with you. An absolutely amazing man. He had no bitterness in his heart towards Arthur. So I didn't have a mixed up, hateful childhood. I've got to look where I am in the notes. <laughs> So I didn't have the love of a father in my life. I had the amazing love of a dad. But throughout my life, I've been overwhelmed with the incredible love of our heavenly father. A heavenly father that not only looks after us, he restores us. And he doesn't restore us in a little way. He doesn't say, okay, you've got problems. I'll make it right for you, but I'll put you there. He restores us and restores us again. Growing up, psychologically, it's very, very difficult. Knowing that there is a part of your life And I'm going to move this hand in a moment over there that you don't know about. I knew that I might have had a brother or a sister, but I didn't know. It was there. That's hard. And I found it when I got into my 60s even harder. So two years ago at Easter time, I go onto Facebook, and it's Easter, Sunday, Easter Monday, and I put on Facebook, does anyone know about the Blake family in Garnediffith? It's a local history group I went on to. And three days later, I had a text from an old lady called Mary Price. And Mary said, hello, David. I've known about you all my life. do you want to know about the family? Yes, please. So through that Easter Thursday day, there's a whole series of text messages going back between Mary and myself. And I keep saying to Stella, look at that, Stella. Look look what I've just found out on the phone. Look, yeah. And she tells me, You've got three sisters. I grew up with two brothers, Gareth and Wayne, but now I've got three sisters. Michelle, Debbie, Vanessa. I've got two brothers extra as well, Martin and Lawrence. And she said, we're actually meeting tomorrow, which was a Friday, in Brecon. I'm meeting with my nieces. do you want me to tell them about you? And that's a big step because now I know about them, but do they want to know about me? I said, yes, please tell them. Over lunch, she said, told them about me, that I'd contacted her. And two of them said, yeah, we thought we knew about David. We'd come across some legal document and it said, Oh, Arthur was married before. He's got a name, he's got a son, David. And I thought, Oh, that's that it. They, they know me about me and I know about them. But that night, I get a text from my sister, Michelle, who says, Oh, it's wonderful. It's amazing that we found each other. And we agreed that after the wedding, that they'd all, family wedding they were going to go to, that I'd phone Michelle. So on the Monday, seven o'clock, I'm going to phone her. Half past six, she phones me. She said, I couldn't wait any longer. <laughs> and we talk. And over the times that I've talked to the two brothers and the three sisters, I get a picture of Arthur, which is so different to the one I'd had in my mind that I grew up with. They told me he was a kind, loving, wonderful man and an absolutely amazing father to them. Every single one of them told me great stories about him. And I couldn't work out how this picture that I had of Arthur who'd abandoned mum and I to the picture that they were telling me of this lovely, wonderful man. And I knew they weren't lying. So I can remember saying, Lord, you're going to have to help me understand this And the Lord answers prayers, sometimes slowly, and he said, okay. And it started off three things. One, I couldn't sleep one night, so I went upstairs to watch, oh, sorry. When I say went upstairs to watch, Stella's an architect. We live in a house which is upside down. We live upstairs, sleep downstairs, so I go upstairs to watch telly. And it's the history program, and I find out about Vienna in Austria at the end of the war. And I thought, Lord, why are you showing me this about Vienna? I like history, but what's the meaning of it? And then the second thing that the Lord showed me was... um, I'm supposed to be retired, but I manage three special needs schools in Cardiff, and I was talking to a parent, and he'd been in the army in Afghanistan, and his vehicle had been blown up, and he'd lost a leg, and he was telling me about post-traumatic stress. And I thought, okay, Lord, yeah, I got that. don't know why you're telling me it, but I forgot it. And the third thing the Lord did for me was I picked up my Bible and I turned it over and I can never remember the number. It's Luke something. It's a parable of the lost son. And I read it through. I thought, "Oh well, I know this. So I read it. And we know the story. The son wants money. He goes off. He leads a life. And it's in ruin, and he comes back to his father, and his father forgives him. I thought, very interesting, Lord, thank you very much. The next day, I go to the Bible, I turn the Bible up, and I open it up. It's the parable of the lost son again. So I read it again. And I thought, "I I still don't know what you're telling me, Lord. So the third day... I know I'm not picking up the same Bible because it might have been you know it's so used to opening at the same point so I put that Bible aside and picked up a different one put it there opened it up it's the parable of the lost son and I got the message about forgiveness I've got the message about restoration and I thought, Lord, I've been that son in my life. I've been wayward. But I've also been the father in that life. My son, Christian, has a, he is an absolutely amazing guy. He's 40-year-old now, and he's, he's great, but he has, he's bipolar. So sometimes in his life. You never know which Christian is going to talk to you. We have a a pattern running in our life. Dad, oh, Tom, Dad, was an amazing dad to me and my brothers. When I married Stella, my wife here, 21 years ago, Her son from her first marriage, Sam, is five-year-old. I learned from my father, and I was, I hope, a good father to him. Sent me a text earlier on, wishing me Happy Father's Day. My son Christian, him and Nahara, our daughter-in-law is Brazilian, They have a young son, our first grandson. He's about 20 weeks old. His name is Thomas, after my father, after my dad, I should say. And I said to Christian once, well, Chris, you're such an amazing stepfather to to Nahara's daughter, Leona, from her first marriage. Nahara was abandoned. She brought up Leona on her own. And he said, "It's, it's simple, Dad. Granddad looked after you, loved you as his son. You looked after Sam. You loved him as your son. He said, look at the picture I've got in front of me. It's natural that I would look after Leona as my daughter. But our Lord restores And what he did, I found out that Arthur, my father, had married mum in 1942. They'd been married six weeks when he was called up to the army for the war. He went to North Africa. He survived North Africa, and he went then through Italy. And he survived Italy. And at the end of the war, just before it ended, his jeep was blown up in Vienna. Hmm. Thank you Lord for showing me what Vienna was like in the war. His jeep was blown up. He he lost a lung. He was his arm was damaged. He never really recovered from those. And he became a prisoner of war. He came back to mum to life that was different. When I was Two-year-old. I'm not making excuses for Dad, for, for Arthur. He left us. He left us for a 19-year-old nurse. And I looked at what the Lord had shown me. I'd looked at that parable of the lost son. And you'll know that it's sometimes known as the parable of of the prodigal son. There's some, by that word prodigal, there's some condemnation in there. I had a prodigal father, and the Lord was saying to me, love. In a few weeks time, I've I've met all of my brothers and sisters, Martin in Edinburgh, Debbie up in Middlewich. I haven't met Vanessa, who lives the nearest. She lives in Chepstow. But in a few weeks' time, I'm going to go and meet, and we're going to stand by Dad's grave, Arthur's grave. And there's a very, very important part in the parable of the lost son. It's where the father explains to the son who didn't, go away. He said, but your brother, he was lost and now is found. I'm going to stand at that graveside. I'm going to say, Dad, you're a prodigal father, but now you were lost and now you're found. Thank you for listening to me.
0: Wonderful. Isn't it amazing what Jesus can do in our lives? Absolutely incredible, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, as Dave was um, just sharing there, the words from Isaiah just came into my heart. And I shared this in in the first service where Isaiah the prophet talking about the wonderful work that God can do in our lives when he restores us. Isaiah saw it, a clear picture. And only God can do this by the power of his Holy Spirit. He says, he will give you beauty instead of ashes. And I know that's the story of many of our lives. But just to hear Dave say what he said this morning, you know, all of that collected history, it could have been so different. It could have just been like a pile of ash but Jesus, through His wonderful love and His wonderful goodness, just to hear how He's come into, you know, the ash heap of our lives and and made something beautiful out of it. Dave, thank you. Absolutely, absolutely wonderful, wonderful. Tarbo, I know you have got an incredible an incredible testimony, and um, I know there's aspects that are very much like dave's but you know you have experienced the love of your heavenly father you know in such a wonderful intimate way would you share with us just um again what you've already shared and um just just tell us how how that's come into your heart and changed you and really brought you to where to where you are today
2: amen um wow yeah, bless you all. Happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my father died when I was quite young. I was about um, 10, 11 years old. And even previously to that, I'd only seen him on a handful of occasions. So I didn't experience a lot of my life with my father around. Um, and, you know, God has been there. You know what I'm saying? He's just been... Um, cuz he is father to the fatherless you know and uh I have a father and he's and i remember um you know um when i was young when my mom like on sundays for example if sh- she wasn't available to go with me to church she would make sure somebody from church would pick me up <laughs> and take me to church you know and she was one of those mothers you know i would i would wake up in the morning, and she's she's calling out to God, praying, and and all that. You know, she was a woman of faith. She is a woman of faith. You know, and I'm so grateful to that. And um, and so, you know, just you know, living life and growing up. You know, um, sometimes you know because my father wasn't there, I wasn't able, obviously, to ask him questions if I had questions in my mind and and, and certain things. And you know, um, and they got that point when I was 15 years old and I really was I, I couldn't make sense of what life it was or is you know I couldn't you know understand uh, life and I just say you know what Lord my father has not been there you know help me know how to live this life help me be able to get to grips with this life you know what I'm saying and uh, you know and he really did step in you know and he really um, fathered me, you know what I'm saying? And he's really been showing me over the years and just since my youth, I, well, you know, and he's just, just been totally amazing, you know? And, um, and you know, and then my stepdad came in when I was 18 and when he came in, you know, um, he just, you know, was really loving, you know what I'm saying? And God used him to... to um, to to love me you know I'm saying and it was just it was just really amazing and even before I moved to Wales some years back you know I was living in his place for a good eight years or so you know from 18 to my mid-20s and you know and God was gracious showing how you know showing me how a man operates through my stepfather as well you know I'm saying and you know and and you know even though I grew most of my childhood up in a in, in a single parent home And out there in the world, you hear about statistics that they have of what happens to a child who grows up in a single parent home, this or that, you know. But God really protected me from becoming a statistic of my circumstance, you know what I'm saying? And uh, that's the kind of God he is, you know. And, you know, um, and God has just been there, you know. And I remember last year I was praying, and in my prayer, God was just like, you know, don't get this twisted. It's not your brilliance, Tabo you know what I'm saying, um, and he just reminded me he is God, and just, you know, and even when I've messed up um, in my life, you know, I mean, God has lovingly corrected me, you know what I'm saying, because he's, you know, he corrects those he loves, you know what I'm saying, and, you know, and and it's just, you know, it's been there, and I remember when I shared my testimony a few years back, and somebody was saying to me, you know, say to me, you know, you know without knowing your testimony, I, uh, you know, I wouldn't have known that you came from a uh single parent home you know i mean family and 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 that's the amazing thing about God you know what i'm saying he's just able to mend the wounds you know what i'm saying and restore what was uh broken you know and uh and thankfully he's been there and by his grace you know we can just trust him you know what i'm saying and and he's just been showing me how much Jesus is the meaning to life you know what i'm saying so yeah just Glory to God, you know what I'm saying? Amen.
0: Amen. <laughs> Tabo, thank you, you know, for that. And, um, you know, just what Tabo said there about how, you know, our world may have looked at all of our lives in different ways and, you know, would have written us off as a statistic of circumstance. And I love what, what Tarbo's testimony really voices this morning is that, you know, when Jesus is at the center of our lives, we are not a statistic of circumstance. Isn't that wonderful? You know, that, that, you know, we see the handiwork of God in Tarbo's life. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful scripture. Again, it's from the book of Isaiah. And I I really feel that, that, you know, it's pertinent to mention it, where Isaiah says on God's behalf, the Lord speaks through him and he says, my arm is not too short that it cannot save. And basically God is saying, don't ever be afraid. My arm can always reach you it can always reach into that pain. It can always reach into that fear. It can always reach into that, into that overwhelming circumstance where the world is just going to write you off as another, another st- statistic. My arm can reach you. And how many of us can declare this morning that his hand is not short? It reaches us, you see, in our pain, in our hurt, in our loneliness. And tell that's a beautiful, a beautiful testimony, as, as Dave says, you know, of God's wonderful, wonderful mercy. He doesn't leave us alone. He brings us into a family like this where we can love on one another, support one another. But even when we're not in each other's company, when we're out there and sometimes when we feel alone, and we feel afraid, and we, we, we feel as if we're going to kind of end up like a statistic, that's when he comes, and he wraps his arms around us, and he looks after us. Thank you, Tarbo, for that. That's wonderful. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And again, yeah. we we have Rob. I know many of you uh, know Rob, and uh, Rob is a, a wonderful, wonderful blessing to us. Rob's got an incredible story about, I, I think, when I listen to Rob, every time I listen to him, and every time I see him, I just see a love inside Rob that just doesn't give up. You know, Rob is a dad. Um, and and he, for me, Rob, you reflect the father heart of God in, in so many ways, where you've just got this tenacious love that won't let go. So I want, I want you to just share your, your, your story, Rob, and just about this amazing love that you've had for your son over the years.
3: Morning, church. Um, I lost my dad when I was 26. So I was living with my mum at the time, my younger brother and sister. So uh, there's five of us in the family, kids, and I was the away one. So I had to do a bit of growing up quick, and um, a few years later, then I um, I had my daughter, and then a couple of years later, I won, I was married to my daughter's mum, but um, I met my young my son, his mum. We got married. We had Joe. Joe was um, 10, 13, born. Going to play for Wales, no problems. Um and. As he started getting a little bit older, um, I could see that there was something... I don't know. I mean, in them days, it wasn't ADHD. It was um activity. Orange juice, Smarties, whatever it was. Um, and then it, it caused a little bit of problem with me and his mam. Um, we split up. Um, and then Joe really went off the rails. So he was... His mum couldn't handle him. So he came up to live with me in Newport because I moved back to Newport. Then it was affecting my my work because I was being called out uh, three times a week where he was playing up. So then back to his mum. He'd he'd play one off the other. Very clever kid. And um, when he came to about 11, he was really getting in trouble. Um, I found out... A couple of years later, that he was starting to do cannabis and opiates and everything to go with it. And then when he was 15, he got in trouble and he went to a place in Bristol called Ashfield, a young offenders uh, institute. So, I mean, me and his mum got on, we went over to visit him. Um, And he had a drugs worker, Tina, from Bath. And she came to speak to me and she said, "Um, I'm a Christian. Um, I would like Joe to come to church, you know, see if we can help him through the Lord. But Joe wasn't having none of it. The less I went, no, I wasn't a churchgoer at all, no way. And um, like you do with your children, I said, "Yeah, no problem." So we actually went to Cardiff. There was about fifty people. Made us li- didn't know them except that you know Tina. Um, they made us lovely and welcome. We went from fifty people over to Bath the following week to 700 people. Same thing, I'm looking around, everybody got a big smile. Nobody got any problems here by the looks of this, but they did, they were talking to me. And I thought, oh, okay. So then my son started escalating Then he, he went from cannabis to heroin, um, really bad. Um, myself, personally, I must have done CPR five times to bring him back to life. Um, he's tried to hang himself three times. Um, the worst, well, one of the worst moments for me was, um, I had a phone call and I'm pretty sure it was New Year's Eve and Joe was in Lynethley where, where he was, uh, staying in this hostel thing. And, um, they said that he was hanging out the window. He had a needle in his arm, was going to jump. So I got in the car and I, I got down there in no time. But when I got to the actual house, they'd taken him to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, Joey had booked himself out. So I had, an, I had an idea of which way he would walk. Anyway, God willing, I found him. Went back to the house. Um, he'd wrecked his his room. So I said, let's go upstairs, mate, and, um, and tidy your room up here. But as, as I went to go up the stairs, there was a noose hanging from the rafters. And honestly, it was like a dagger. And um, Joe started to laugh. I said, what What are you laughing at, son? He said, it's funny, Dad, isn't it? I said, not really, kid. Well, what do you mean it's funny? And he said, um, well, Dad, I'm six foot five. He said, and I jumped out of the attic. He said, and I hit the floor. The rope was too long. But it wasn't funny to me. And I thought, oh, it's that desperate how far my son has come that he wants to kill himself. So we got, we got him into rehab and everything. And then uh, Joe was around, yeah, 18, 19, something like that. And I used to go down every fortnight. And the last thing I'd done was always took him shopping to make sure that he had food in the house. And we went shopping, we sat in the car. And what we're talking about now, a 19 year old who's six foot five. And he starts crying. And I said, well, what's the matter, son? i got something to tell you, Dad, but you're not going to like it. And I said, what can be worse, kid, than what you're doing with your drug addiction? He said, um, Grampy was abusing me on, on his mum's side. It, w- it wouldn't have been my dad. I knew that. And um, my first reaction, kill him. That's the first thing. And I said, come on, mate, we'll we'll go to the police station. And he he said, "Um, Dad, who are they going to believe? they Are going to believe an heroin addict? Or are they going to, you know, believe my grandfather? I said, they'll believe you, son. Well, anyway, cut a long story short, he would not go to the police station at all. And I was really concerned because there was, I'm guessing, another four or five grandchildren. So I was worried about that. So I give Joe a month. And I said, son, if you don't go, I'm going. He wouldn't go. So I went and I reported it, but they couldn't do anything because Joe had to, you know, Joe had to go in and make the statement. So a couple of years, Joe, um, 30, 31 times in prison, 100-plus convictions. And um, the last time ever was in 2016. He, um, he came out of prison. Now, Joe suffers with bipolar anxiety, depression, um, social phobia, but we didn't know at the time about, about the, um, the bipolar. So I tried my, I, I was hitting my head against the wall, MPs I was talking to, trying to get him to see a psychiatrist. Well, anyway, this particular day, we had to go through our doctor, go out to St. Now, I'm a, I'm a amazed class boy, I know what St. is. And anyway, we went out and they messed up. They sent us to the trauma team so joe got upset and on the way home could i get him a couple of cans because he said he wouldn't sleep and i said yeah okay mate no worries so i left him in the house went up my sister's and uh, just to say how the day had gone come back very quiet then i used joe come downstairs out in the kitchen i heard all this noise and when i went out there he was just holding onto to the kitchen unit and he was shaking like hell his whole body so i grabbed hold of him screaming at him what have you taken he wasn't answering me but he was going grey. oh here we go again so anyway I gets him into the recovery position and um he's not breathing so i i i look up at the ceiling and i said i call god the big fella so i said big fella i said i can't do anymore i said please help me and within 10 seconds joe took the biggest gulp of air and when I say to people about this you know they laugh and but I asked him for help and he helped me and um, I mean out of everything he shocked me it, it really shocked me so anyway they, they got Joe round they got, got the paramedics um, and the one guy came to me and he said how you, how you doing Mr Daly I said not very good I said, this really scared me. Um, He said, yeah, Joe knows. And he's telling me to tell you that you've heard it a million times. But this is it. He saw what he'd done, how scared I was. And February 2016, this is the good news. Joe has been clean over five years. He, um, He works. He works where I work. He earns more money than me and all. And um, But he's a good kid. And during during this good time, he joined a a school of hard knocks, which is a charity. We're now ambassadors for this charity. Um, Joe does marathons, half marathons, cycles. He's actually doing Cardiff to Temby in September. He's come a long way. And when you read the scriptures and it says the Lord will never forsake you, believe it because he won't, no matter, no matter what happens, he's always there, I'm forever talking to him. He got me through it, you know, big time. I mean, I, I suffer now with anxiety and depression, the reason being, um, it's all to do with this 12 years. Joe's out of the bubble, and I I was still in the bubble, so every, everything has happened, but the news is I got my son back. My family got their nephew back. <clears throat> And it's a, lot that it's, it's a lot to do with faith because I'd have really, really bad days. I wouldn't want to come to church, but as soon as I walk through the door, it, it's all gone. It's, it's unbelievable what it can do for you. Um, I'm so. I wish I'd have done it donkeys years ago if I'm, if I'm, without Tina saying, please come to church. But I think that there's a reason. Why that time? I honestly don't know, because I thought I know the Lord is our shepherd, but I thought, oh, I'm Joey's Shepherd. But that's done. That's gone. I'm here for something, and I, I, he'll show me. He'll show me what it is, and I, I don't know whether it's to help other people in the you know in the situation. But what I would like to say to people, you know, who are here, is, and I said it this morning. I think, I, I'm guessing, but I think there's, there's mums and dads who are going through something like I've gone through. And please, I'm here every week. I sit in the front. Please come and talk to me. And I will help you as best I can. Because I know it's embarrassing because it's one of your kids. Or it could be a family member, you know. And you don't want to talk about it. But with me, it helped me like I'm doing now, Talking is Please come and see me. God bless. Thanks for listening to me.
0: Absolutely amazing, amazing. And um, I know you know Rob has uh, mentioned numerous times that you know in his um, in his love for Joe, many people, well-meaning, you know, trying to look out for Rob. Um, I just said to Rob, pulled him aside and said, listen, you need to give up on Joe. You need to, you need to let Joe go. And um, Rob just would not do that.
3: Sorry, Dave, he, he's absolutely right there. My, my family as well, certain members of my family said, forget him, you know, forget him, get on with your own life because it's making you ill. But nah, he's my son. Simple as, doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it's not nice at the time, but no way. That, that's, that's my advice to any... Mum, Dad, stick with them. It's hard, of course it's hard. But stick with them, and you will get the reward. Yeah. Not that it's a reward, but you'll come out of it. Yeah. I promise you.
0: Yeah. And um, was, it, was it, Rob, um, that Joe jo had gone off the radar a little bit, and you, you heard he was down in Portsmouth living in a, in a car park?
3: In Exeter. At uh, Exeter. And, um, yeah, and I just got in the car. Because what was happening, I couldn't get in contact with him at all. And phoned the police stations, like I always done, Phoned the the hospitals, nothing. So I thought, I know where he is, but where is he? And uh, I found him. I found him because I had an idea where drug addicts would hang about. And he was a mess. And... Um, But it's just, I mean, I traveled, I wouldn't say all around Britain, but a lot of it. You know, prisons especially, so many prisons, unbelievable. I think the farthest I've been is Oxford. Didn't have a clue where I was going. Not in them days, we didn't have sat-navs. It was just, get your head around, or I gotta get there to see him. And it was an hour visit, but it was something like three, three and a half hours there, three and a half hours back. It's just, just something you do for your children. It, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, it's love at the end of the day, unconditional. It really doesn't matter what they do to you. It's horrible, of course, it's horrible. But stick with them. You, you get mad, you get mad, of course, you get mad. But you do it, you do it. Yeah.
0: I tell you, you know, love like that, it's not, uh, it's not MTV music love or Hollywood glamorized love. It's unconditional love, the unconditional love of God. And um, it, it's absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And, and what, these, what these men have done this today, you know, and I, I know you know this, um, but again, you know, just listening to them, just reminded of that, that moment when Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And the Bible says that the disciples were hiding away in a room, because they were afraid. They they thought Jesus had gone, you know, and Jesus had risen from the dead, and suddenly he walks into the room that they were in, hiding away for fear of the Jews. And there's a number of things that Jesus could have done in that moment. He could have, you know, proclaimed his triumph. I'm the great messiah risen from the dead i'm the one that's victorious over the grave he could have done so many things but what he chose to do was really really unusual but absolutely brilliant he didn't proclaim his great victory over death and the grave what he did was he showed his disciples his wounds he invited thomas to put his hands into the nail prints in his hands showed them his side. He showed them points of suffering in his life that that cost him everything because of his love for them. That's what these men have done today. They've showed us their wounds in life so that oil and wine can come into our wounds and we can feel that touch of healing of God's presence in our lives. So I really do believe that You know, in various ways all of us can take from this service and be blessed and receive that nourishment and that wholeness that we need in our lives. Amen. Why don't we show them our appreciation again. We're going to close our service right now. Thanks. Musicians are coming back. Today you may be here and you know, you may never have heard a message like this. You know, Jesus isn't just a picture that we see in a stained glass window in a cathedral. He's alive. He really is. We've heard testimonies of that, very different, all of them very different in their substance, but very real nonetheless, of Jesus Christ coming into the most painful moments of life and leading these men through, leading these men on and making them the men that they are today. I wonder today, you may be here, you may be watching online, and as you've listened to these men speak about Jesus and the love of God that's reached into their their painful moments in life, I wonder if you've thought about Jesus reaching into your life. Jesus being your Savior, because he loves you with the same love with which he has loved these men. And he's more than willing, more than able to come into your life with all of its complexity, with all of its pain, with all of its mix-up. Jesus stands, the Bible says, at the door of our lives, and he knocks patiently waiting for an invitation by yourself to come on in. The moment that you open that door, Jesus will come into your heart and he'll begin to restore your life. Areas that may be impoverished, areas that may need his touch of wholeness and healing, restoration for your soul. It's not going to all happen at once, but... Little by little, moment by moment, as you walk with him every day, what a journey it is just to know his care, just to know his love, just to know his presence. And the messages that we've heard today from these three wonderful men in our church is that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus makes whole, Jesus restores, Jesus never leaves us. Or forsakes us. I'm going to take this moment right now and if you would like to ask Jesus to come into your life, it's just a matter of calling on the name of the Lord, calling out to him. You can't clean your life up. None of us can. We can't clean our act up. We can't make any great promises to God. Every promise you make, you'll break just like me no you don't have to make any great promises to god god actually makes all the promises to you and he will not break any single one of them he'll fulfill them all in his time and in his way in your life as you call this morning with me on the name of the lord you're going to experience the goodness of His saving grace, His love. You're going to know peace possibly for the first time in your life, in your heart. Some of you, you're going to get washed. You're going to get washed. You feel dirty inside. We all know what that feels like. It's not very nice. You know, every, every week, a few times a week, possibly every day, you jump in the shower or you jump in the bath. Why? Because you've just got to wash the grime of life off your body. Otherwise, it starts to smell. How about having a wash on the inside? You may never have been washed on the inside. I'm telling you now, somebody is in this building. His name is Jesus. And he can wash all of that grime away, all of that stain of life, all of that guilt, that collected shame of life that's housed in your mind, housed in your heart, housed in your soul. He can wash it. How do I know? Because he's washed me on the inside and still does wash me on the inside. So as we call on the name of the Lord this morning, as you call quietly on the name of the Lord and pray with me, you're going to be washed on the inside. You're going to receive peace and you're going to enter into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to be the greatest day of your life, the greatest moment of your life because you're going to reconnect with a loving Father in heaven through the wonderful saving power of his son jesus amen let's close our eyes for a moment quietly you're going to take this moment you're going to pray with me nothing magical about the prayer it's just there to help you that's all but what you're going to say you're going to believe and as you say it you're not going to find an angry god but a loving savior that's going to wrap his arms around you and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to be with you. Say this prayer with me. If you're here in this building or if you're watching online today, say this with me right now, quietly in your heart Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you died to take my sin upon yourself so that I could go free. I believe that not only you died, but you're alive, just like the Bible says, God raised you from the dead on the third day. Now I ask you, I call upon your name, Jesus because you're alive please be my savior please forgive me of my sin let me experience new life wash me on the inside wash my soul wash my mind wash away all of the stains of life cleanse me I ask save me be the one that never leaves or forsakes me from this moment on. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today quietly in your heart, a miracle, a miracle has taken place. You're not going to change on the outside, but there's going to be a wonderful change taking place on the inside where you'll know a peace that passes understanding. And every single day, you're gonna walk with him and you're gonna sense him in moments of life where you need him most. You really are. If you prayed that prayer, you're here. We would love to be a part of that journey with you. We'd love to give you maybe your first Bible. You can collect that on the way out from one of our team who are gonna be standing at um, the back door on my right-hand side. You can collect one of those Bibles. It's free of charge, just our gift to you today. And a little magazine written by members of our congregation who have seen Jesus just do the most incredible things in their lives, much like Dave, Rob, and Tarbo. Similar stories. Jesus just does incredible things with people from Newport and beyond Newport. Incredible. So pick one of those magazines up as well. We would love to give it you. And if you're watching online, you prayed that prayer, hey, listen, we would love to give you a Bible as a church. We're committed to this. We'd love to send you a Bible and one of our magazines free of charge and um, just drop us a line on our website. Go to hello at King's Church. Drop us a line with your details, your address, and we will get that out to you this week. Hasn't it been a great morning this morning? Amen. And listen, listen. Next week, go out. Go out as carriers of this wonderful news, this wonderful gospel. You might not say anything to anybody, but your reflection to them, will be a great message of comfort, hope, and encouragement. You're a beacon of light in a dark world. Your life is. It really is. You may get an opportunity to share the wonderful news that, that has saved you and the goodness of God in your life. Take that opportunity and see Jesus do wonderful things in the lives of others. You may be just there as a word of encouragement or just that, that pillar that's in that place of work that seems so uncertain that pillar of consistency listen let's use these these times and these moments of life to be a blessing to others in our world amen let's stand to our feet we're going to sing before we go and just bless bless the lord for what he's done and what we've heard this morning god bless you